welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. So in my family, uh, both the family that I grew up in and the family I have now, music has always been a a very important thing. Uh, I can remember as a child uh, that we never did anything without music being on about music being around. And I know in my house, it's the same way. We just got one of those Amazon Echoes, and pretty much all it is is a glorified speaker that I can yell at. That and a timer. But pretty much other than that, it's no function other than a speaker. And there's something about music that sort of uh, sticks with us. I can remember really vividly the music that my parents would play in the car growing up. And some of it was awful. Some of it was just downright terrible. I won't name names, but Steely Dan, I'm looking at you. But some of it was good, right? Some of it I really enjoyed. And for some reason, one of the things that stuck with me is we had a a tape. um, For those of you who are younger, it was like a really low-fi CD um, that you stuck into your dashboard. And so we had this tape, and it was the Mamas and the Papas. Right, that classic sort of 60s folk band. And one of the lyrics from the Mamas and the Papas that I always vividly remember was that the darkest hour is just before dawn. And I think that always stuck with me because in my mind I always have kind of gone, really? I don't, I don't really think that's true, right? And then I was like, well, maybe it's because I live by the coast and the water, reflections. I, I don't do science, but something about that, I'm not sure if that's right or not. But of course, the mamas and the papas weren't trying to uh, write a book or a song on science. Uh, They were trying to make a more metaphorical point, right? That sometimes the hardest parts of our lives are right before the best. But the darkest hour is just before dawn. I think what this plays into, what this goes to the point of, is that we all have darkness, struggle, frustration, and doubt in our lives. For some of us, it's worse than others. For some of us, it lasts longer and is deeper than others. But all of us know this sense that things aren't okay, that things are bad in our lives. Sometimes it's occasional, Sometimes it lasts for a long time. But this idea that there is darkness, that there are things that weigh us down, is something that all of us sort of understand in one way or another. What's interesting is we're going to look at Advent from the lens of the Old Testament this morning. And as we look at the Advent story, as the coming of Jesus from the lens of the Old Testament, one of the things that we're going to see is that this was written to a people who were in deep, deep darkness. We're going to read from the prophet Isaiah in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to set the stage for what's going on. The people of Israel were under attack. The Assyrian army from the north was marching down the coast and was taking over all of the land. And the Assyrians were not exactly nice people as they did this. They were the kind of people that would burn your crops and salt your land. And then as they did that, they would taunt you with how awful it was going to be when you were their slave. 
They were not polite people as they took over your land. And in fact, what had happened was that the, the northern section of Israel had already been taken over. The area around the Sea of Galilee, which if you grew up in church, know that that's kind of the area where Jesus grew up and did a lot of his ministry. That northern part of Israel was already taken over by the Assyrians. You want to talk about darkness, struggle. These Israelite people were wondering, the God who gave us this land, who did so many miracles to get us here, where is he at now? Because I'm starving. And what little money I have, what little food I can grow, I'm paying to this army that is living on my land. Where do we go from here? What does God have to say about What does God have to say to me, the Israelite might ask, as I am here struggling, doubting, wondering what happens next? You see, almost the entire book of Isaiah was written to these people who lived in the northern part of Israel who were already taken over who were already captive and slaves. I think what Isaiah has to say to them is really helpful and really instructive to us as we think about our times of darkness, as we think about our struggles and our doubts. So what I want to do is read you just one of Isaiah's prophecies, just one part of what Isaiah has to say to these people. And then we're going to walk through what that means for us. So if you would, stand and join me. I'll read aloud. You can read along in a Bible if you have one. If not, it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,700 years ago, but intended for us this morning. So there are these people in northern Israel, people that live around the Sea of Galilee, and it is dark. It is grim. And things are not going well for them. And I think if we're going to imagine what it's like to be them, if we're going to hear what Isaiah has to say to them, I think we need to stop and ask ourselves this question. What's our darkness like and how do we deal with it? You see, for some of us, our darkness, those shadowy parts of our life and of our heart that we don't want to talk about, for some of us, it's the result of our own choices. Some of us have guilt and shame that we have brought on ourselves through our choices. But there's also the guilt and shame, the struggle and darkness that comes from the things that have been done to us, right? Those are both ways that darkness creeps into us. The things that we've done and the things that have been done to us. And, and most of the time, the things that we struggle with, the things that weigh us down, that are heavy to us, are a mixture of both, right? Not completely someone else's fault. I had a hand in it, but it's other people's fault a little, right? We're somewhere in the middle there. But the question is, how do you handle that? When that sort of shadow creeps over you, Whatever your shadow is, whether it's guilt or shame, whether it's regret, whether it's doubt, when that shadow creeps over you, what do you do? I think for some of us, the way that we try to handle that is by quickly doing as many good things as we can. Right? Okay. I'm struggling. I'm remembering all the bad things that I've done. Here's my solution. I'm going to go do a lot of good things. And that will make me feel better. How's that working out for you? Usually not good, right? Usually we get done doing the good deed and we get our nice little happy I did the right thing buzz. And then we realize something. There's the shadow again. And I may have kept it at bay for a minute, but not really all that long. So for some of us, we try to deal with our darkness through good deeds. I think others of us try to deal with our darkness by retreating, by running away from it and running to something that makes us feel good. Whether that thing that makes us feel good is, is a substance, whether it's sex, whether it's going to the gym and lifting heavy things, when bad things happen, some of us respond by retreating to something that makes us happy. Again, the problem with this is, what? Can't make it go away. It keeps coming back. And sometimes, the harder we fight it, the faster it comes back on us. Or maybe we sort of go, well, yes, 
I've got this shadow, I've got this darkness, I've got this stuff that is dogging me, but at least I've got these accomplishments. At least I'm fairly, at least I've got a lot of money. Right? That sort of makes me feel better about myself. Right? I've got this degree, people respect me, people like me. I've got this going on for me. Or maybe we sort of try to grasp harder onto the blessings of our lives. Whatever it is. All of us know, on the one hand, the feeling of creeping dread, of guilt and of shame, of pain and of suffering, of darkness. We all know that we have ways that we try to get away from it. But Isaiah comes to these people and he says, No, you see, what you guys are doing is hoping in all of the wrong things. The people of Isaiah, that Isaiah was writing to, they wanted God to come in and just wipe off the Assyrians. To just, if we could just get rid of the Assyrians, everything would be okay. If we could just have the Assyrians not here anymore, everything's going to be all right. God, fix the Assyrians for me. Fix them. What happens historically is interesting because God does fix the Assyrians. Except he replaces them with the Babylonians and they're like five times worse. See, we're always looking for a fix. What Isaiah says is, no, you don't need a fix. You don't need someone who's just going to fix the Assyrians for you. You need something more. And he says, you who are living in northern Israel, it is darkest for you right now. You are in occupied territory. Things are bad. But guess what, North Israel? Guess where the Messiah is going to grow up? Guess where Jesus is going to do his ministry at? In your neck of the woods. In your place. And Isaiah turns and says, what the fix you need is, is not something right now. What you need is not one more great solution to make those bad feelings go away. What you need is Jesus. And he walks through and he says, because Jesus is going to come to your area and he's going to do a number of things. The first thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to set us free. He says he's going to break the yoke of the oppressors like he did in the day of Midian. This is a story we talked about. Those of you who have been around for a while will remember our stories in Judges. In Gideon deliver the people out of oppression from Midian. And he says, just like I did in that day, the coming Messiah is going to do that for you. He's going to set you free. And not just set you free from people who oppress you, but from your sin. From the things that you are addicted to. But not only is he going to come and set you free, he's going to come and give you you see, that, that shadow, that creeping dread, that guilt and that shame is the first thing in our lives that robs us of peace. It's the thing that takes away our sleep, that makes us anxious. He says he's going to come and he's going to give us peace. He uses the metaphor of a battle. He says he's going to take all of the armor in the world and use it for his body. Not only is he going to give us peace, not only is he going to set us free, he's going to carry our burdens. 
again and again and again as this passage, as you read through, there's sort of one theme that's woven through it. And it's the idea that he is going to take the burden, take the yoke off of your shoulders and put it on his. See, the way that Jesus loves us, the way that Jesus cares for us, and the way that Jesus engages with our darkness is this. He takes that yoke. And what a yoke was is not uh, a part of an egg. Come on, you didn't think I was going to make at least one yoke joke? Maybe even, maybe even just to be able to say the word, yoke joke? The yoke was the part that they would put around the animal's neck when they would tie them to a plow or to a wagon. It was how they harnessed in these animals. It was the way that they would put them together so when they would drag the plow or so that when they would till the grain, it was what kept that animal doing what somebody else wanted it to do. And Jesus says, that's, that's what your darkness is like. It's like a yoke. It's keeping you from doing what you want to do. And he says, I'm going to break the yoke off of your shoulders. But he doesn't just say he's going to break the yoke off of his shoulders. He says he's going to put the yoke on his. The government, the rulership, what's going to happen in the life of Jesus will be brought down on his shoulders. You see the good news that Isaiah was trying to tell the people in deep, deep darkness is this. The escape from the darkness, the, the way out of the darkness is not by trying to fixing it, but by giving it to Jesus who takes it away from us. You see, most of us carry pretty heavy weights of, of guilt and of shame. Of a lot of things in our past that if we could, we would rewrite. We carry things around from our present, habits that we have, things that we do, that if we could, we would write them differently. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that guilt and that shame off of your shoulders. I'm going to put it on mine. You see, while this is a story about Advent, it's a story that points us to the cross of Jesus. Because that's exactly what the cross was. It was Jesus taking the sin, the shame, and the guilt that every one of us deserves and putting it on himself. It was him saying, I'll take your yoke and I'll wear that so that you don't have to. He says, I will take that from you. But it's interesting because the way that he phrases this whole chapter is this idea that those who have experienced the greatest darkness are those who love and will love this light the most. You see, there's this idea that we as humans sort of intrinsically know that contrast is significant. This is why salted caramel is so good. Right? Normal caramel, caramel, eh, it's all right, it's fine, it's good. 
salted caramel? All right. Right? Chocolate? Nah. Chocolate-covered pretzels? All right. If you know how to make good chili, you know that you need to put some cream into the chili. Do you know what makes a really good Indian curry, like a good spicy Indian curry, what takes it up to the next level? A little bit of sugar or coconut. Why? Why? Because that spice is countered by that sweetness, right? The salt and the caramel go together. Why do I talk about cooking? Those of us who have experienced real darkness. Those of us who know what guilt and shame really are. When we begin to believe what Jesus has really done for us, it will be all the sweeter. You see, if you think you're kind of just a little bit of a, I'm like pretty much a good person, and maybe Jesus will help me get over the finish line, then Jesus isn't going to be that sweet for you. But if you can look into the depths of your heart and say, I have some things in my life that I don't even want to really talk about. And then you hear that Jesus will take even those yokes, even that guilt, even that shame off of you. Your love for him will be greater. It'll begin to change who you are. You see, when we begin to realize how great and good Jesus' love for us is, how it reaches even to that part of our heart that we don't want to talk about, how he took all of that from us, when we begin to see that, and that begins to click in our hearts and our minds, that is absolutely life-changing. The people who have walked in darkness will see a great light. And what happens is, all of a sudden, we get a new year. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, who are worn down, who are tired, who can't sleep, who are anxious, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus' yoke gives us rest. It causes us to be amazed, and it calls us to participate in what he is doing. See, what Jesus is doing didn't end on the cross. That wasn't Jesus going, okay, took care of it, did this dying for y'all thing, I'm done. No, Jesus continues to work and calls us into his work. That work of love, that work of forgiveness, and that work of justice for those around us is a part of what Jesus is still at work in. And to those of us who have been forgiven, who have had our yokes taken away and broken by the cross. For those of us who are Christians, it is a call for us this Advent season to join in what He is doing. May God work that in us this season. Let's pray.